0: Father in heaven, we thank you for your wisdom that you've made known to us through the spirit of prophecy. Please give us understanding of your blueprint for the family so that we can think through this in our own lives. For those of us who are in that stage now or yet in the future, please give us conviction and firmness in this age of deception and the onslaught against the family. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Parents, the burden is upon you. Whether you are sensible of it or not, to train these children for God, to watch with jealous care the first approach of the wily foe and be prepared to raise a standard against him. I love that quote. You are not secure a moment against the attacks of Satan. You have no time to rest from watchful, earnest labor. I think yesterday afternoon's session 1 and this morning's session 3 the last one have convinced us that there is an onslaught, right? I mean, if you've seen media on the brain, you know that there is an attack. We are not safe a moment against the attacks of Satan on ourselves or our children, so we must watch and pray. We must always be on guard. That's the urgency that I want to begin this message with because we saw the three biggest events in the history of redemption, right? And of course, there was an attack and it continues to be an attack, not just upon the lives of children in the womb, but upon the children who made Make it to survive the womb in this age they are coming after the children through every means that we've talked about through the media especially which we haven't really talked about much this weekend I'll talk a bit about that tomorrow morning by the way there's a typo in the in the um, the, the schedule um, it says 7 to seven thirty is tomorrow morning's um, devotional message I'll, I'll be tomorrow morning presenting at seven forty five to eight thirty. so it should say seven to eight thirty is that morning experience. So be there at seven for the morning prayer, seven forty-five for the message. I think that'll get announced more also later. If you didn't catch that, seven forty-five is tomorrow's message that I'll share. Now listen to the end of this statement. It says, "Guarding the home against satanic influences." That's all we want to do, right? That's that's what we just read about doing. We want to guard the home against satanic influences. How do you go about this? It says, "Other families will mark the results attained by such a home, by a godly home, and will follow the example set." Have you ever heard the statement that, this, that the, a well-regulated family, a, an obedient children, a, a nice family is better than all the sermons ever preached? And, and that's a very true statement. Families will mark the results attained by a godly home. So this statement is saying you can guard your home against satanic influences by looking at godly homes and following their example. Now, that's kind of a lower level. We want to look at the example of Christ. That's even higher. But interestingly, Christ working through godly homes has actually been studied through George Barna's research. He took a look at spiritually strong young adults, and he said, what kind of families, what kind of parenting produces spiritually strong young adults? In other words, what, what do we need to do to give ourselves the best chances? And they just looked at the data. They found what kind of homes are most likely to produce spiritually strong young adults. He came up with about 50 findings of what sorts of parenting strategies and it approaches and philosophies are done in those homes. Those 50 findings, as, lo- as well as all the spirit of Prophets. Quotes to back it up are in the "Raising the Remnant" series that you can get upstairs. What you're hearing is bits of that. Okay, so this is six discs. There used to be an old one that was only one disc. If you've got that, this is the updated version, and it'll be half off for you if you got the old one already because there's some repeated material, but much expanded. But anyway, George Barna went out and studied these young adults, and he wanted to know what kind of what kind of parenting is most likely to produce spiritual champions as he called them now a quick disclaimer though because you could parent perfectly and still a child could rebel because I know a perfect parent and only one and his name is God the father and he parented all the angels and one third of them rebelled okay so you you could still be perfect and still there's free will right here's the statement parents may do everything in their power to give their children every privilege and instruction in order that they may give their hearts to God yet the children may refuse to walk in the light Now, this kind of thing isn't stated all over the place in Spirit of Prophecy. You read all these books, and it's all about how we can really have the power of God in our homes. So I don't want us to like hang on to that one, but I share that for those older members of the church whose children have left and their hearts are aching. and They hear a message like this, and they're like, oh, it's all my fault if I would have only done these things. And then there's just a big burden of guilt and shame and remorse and negative things. There's free will, right? And we all make mistakes and God forgives us for those, and so that's in the past. Now, for all of us, as we're thinking about the subject at hand, we should ask ourselves, how can we give our children the best chances possible, right? Because it matters a lot. The research is clear that the more of these things we do, the greater chances we will have at producing spiritually strong young adults. So really, it's the Holy Spirit producing them. You understand what I mean by this. But also, another disclaimer, when you're reading through Spirit of Prophecy, on any subject, you want to look at the bulk of the evidence. You want to look at multiple quotations. You want to look at a vast quantity of information before you select one thing and go, I'm, I'm taking that, and I haven't really read very thoroughly, but this is going to be my thing I go with. Here, let me give you an example. Here's a statement from Child Guidance. Children should not be led to feel that they cannot go out or come in without being watched. Suspicion demoralizes, producing the very evils it seeks, so, and it seeks to present, prevent. So in other words, you should, just, you should let your kids do whatever you want, whatever they want, right? You shouldn't watch them. That's what somebody might take from that. They might go, well, yeah, I don't want to produce any demoralization and suspicion, so I'm going to let them go out and come in however they want to do and see you guys at midnight and don't tell me where you went. Well, if you only took that quote, you might go there. You might be a total free-range parent, right? Now, then again, you might only read this one. Parents generally put too much confidence in their children. For often when the parents are confiden- confiding in them, they are in concealed iniquity. Parents, watch your children with a jealous care. Now, if you only took this one, you might become like super suspicious parent, like, like all over, like you're doing something wrong, aren't you? you? know, If you were only looking at this, you might become imbalanced. So you look at the totality of it. Now that you've got both of these, you realize something, don't you? You, you, you do want to be watching them, but you don't want them to feel like you're suspicious of them, right? So did you see how we combined the two and it became a clear whole and it's actually just stated in the clear whole it says be one with the children in their exercises and amusements without leaving the impression that you are watching them see how that all comes together isn't that beautiful so just so, you know as you study spirit of prophecy as you study through these counsels that's a good a good little example of how to make sure that you're doing this in a in a clear and balanced and And uh, truthful way. Now, this is the the, the end goal of where we want to go. This is the end of the quote, and then I'll show you the beginning. It says, A sanctified love will bind the hearts of parents and children together. Isn't that what we're trying to do? A sanctified love binding the hearts of parents and children together. And then the youth will grow up, established in the faith, and rooted and grounded in the love of God. Now, let's see the beginning. It says, The work of education in the home, if it is to accomplish all that God designs, it shall. Demands that parents be diligent students of the scriptures. This is where we're starting. Number one, square one, as parents. They must be learners of the great teacher. Day by day, the law of love and kindness must be upon their lips. Their lives must reveal the grace and truth that was seen in the life of their example. You see, we will only be Christ-like and be an example to our children when we're in the word and we're receiving from Christ. George Barna actually found that the successful parents were most likely to be theologically conservative. That's his term for it. Basically, they believe in the Bible. Maybe the fundamentalist is the term you'd use. They studied their Bible as an even more important finding there. They were actually in the Word. They loved it. I love the common sense statement here. In order to interest our children in the Bible, we ourselves must be interested in it. To awaken in them a love for its study, we must love it. Okay, no kidding. That's that's like, why didn't I get that before? Sometimes I need to read it in inspiration. Why don't we study our Bibles, though? Well, frankly, if I'm not interested in the Bible, it's because I don't love the Lord and love the Bible. I'm not converted. I'll just say it bluntly, right? Day and night I am burdened with the thought of our great need of Unconverted parents. Becoming converted is what that means. We need to be converted so that we love the truth, right? It says that in the Bible, it says spiritual things are spiritually discerned. So if I'm not discerning and and, and having a a taste for the word of God, then what do I love? I have have the appetite for the world. And I talk about that with the Media on the Brain seminar about how our appetites and our tastes and our love for things that are ultra stimulating and entertaining and exciting might mute or, or diminish our love for the word of God. Major theme that there that i won't expand on now but maybe we'll touch on tomorrow morning so if we're one of those then we have to got to take a look at this <clears throat> every day parents should be receiving the light of heaven into their souls every day be receiving the impressions of the holy spirit upon heart and mind every day they should be receiving the word of truth and letting it control the life so is that pretty clear in order to raise spiritually strong young adults we've got to be spiritually strong I and mean, that's kind of basic we'll start with that but also he found that they lived out what they were asking of their kids they did not live in a hypocritical manner where they asked one thing, say, do as I say, not as I do. Like, What? That actually has been said with a straight face. Do as I say, not as I do. That is ridiculous, right? That doesn't work. Um, as a parent, by the way, another finding he, found, he had, it's not in this presentation, but he found that successful parents were likely to ask their children's forgiveness if they messed up. They, they, were, they were humble. They were, they were vulnerable. They would go and say, I was not right there, and I'm sorry. They would say I'm sorry to their children. Above all things else, let parents surround their children with an atmosphere of cheerfulness, courtesy, and love. Because when we're walking with the Lord, when we love His Word, when we're living out what the Word teaches... Christ will infuse our lives with cheerfulness and love and courtesy and, and, and wonderful happy things. A home where love dwells and where it is expressed in looks, in words, and in acts is a place where angels delight to manifest their presence. The atmosphere thus created will be to the children what air and sunshine are to the vegetable world. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? The children just growing with health and vigor of mind and body because the angels are in their midst. Mom and dad are smiling. Everybody's cheerful. This doesn't describe most homes, does it? For some reason behind closed doors, we all tend to get a little shorter with each other, a little more rude, a little less normal courtesy that you extend to any any stranger out there except your family. This is not good, is it? But God wants to change our hearts. He can give us that kind of experience. Smile, parents. Smile, teachers. If your heart is sad, let not your face reveal the fact. Isn't that good? You know, smiling changes your brain chemistry. Did you know this? Physiologically, when you just smile, it starts to make you feel happier. And it's not that you're being fake. It's that you're just really trying to develop a happier attitude. You can change your attitude. That's a choice you make. And when you choose to respond to the Holy Spirit, He empowers it in ways that you can't even imagine. But unfortunately, we're rude in our homes. Have you ever thought about the fact that we, that parents are often rude to their children? He just bark orders at them, this kind of thing. Well, think about the golden rule. The golden rule says, do to others as you would have them do unto you. Well, this applies to our children too. They're people, right? They're human beings. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. Have you ever thought about that? They're just younger members of the Lord's family. And so we should treat them like we would treat any, what we would want to be treated, right? Nobody wants to be Scolded and, and, and angrily talked, talked to. In fact, there's a statement that it's not in this presentation. It says, never, parents, never scold. It never works or it never helps. It never does anything good. Never scold. There's never any reason to raise your voice or get angry. And so, you know, if you've got to get somebody's attention and they know that you're firm sound, there's always saying the st- statements over and over, being firm and kind, blending love and affection with firmness and restraint, but never anger. Never anger. No loud voiced commands it would never, ever have to happen. Now, I know this is setting the bar way up here because all of us who are kids in our parents' home remember our parents doing that and us parents are like, "Yeah, I, I did not follow that one all the time because you get frustrated, right? But the Holy Spirit in your life can give you victory over this. Few realize the effect of a mild, firm manner even in the care of an infant. The fretful, impact. Yeah, look at this. We got the infant right there. He's like, I know. He's saying amen. <laughs> so cute. Little Judah, you're, you're giving me the, the, the response I need right there. The fretful, impatient mother or nurse creates peevishness in the child in her arms, whereas a gentle manner tends to quiet the nerves of the little ones. So there's stressful moments in parenting, absolutely. So what do you do? My wife takes a deep breath. I've heard that if you take nine deep breaths, it literally changes the biochemistry of your body. But even just one deep breath can, can calm the dorsal vagal nerve in the upper back of your neck that goes up into the limbic system and that affects all of your emotions and makes you feel all like this. A deep breath can actually affect that in a positive way. So then we can love our children unconditionally. They know that it doesn't matter what they do, we will always love them. When my son was three years old... I I started a little practice where I would rub his back and pray for him at bedtime. And it was just this special thing. We still do it to this day. And we sing to our kids, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and we put them to bed and pray for them. And one time, my son did something very disobedient. He was on the couch, and we had the whole discipline thing, which, by the way, we're not talking about very much today. It's on disc four of Raising the Remnant. If you're going, discipline, give me the strategies, okay? But all of this needs to come first. This is more important than getting the strategies right. But anyway, I had him on the couch, and he was going, he, he loved how the last, like, three nights we'd done the rub your back and pray for me. And he's like, you're going to do it again tonight, right, Dad? And he's getting the idea that this is a new thing. And when he was sitting there, he goes, Dad, does this mean you're not going to rub your back and my back and pray for me tonight? And I'm like, son, no, no way. There's nothing you could ever do that would make me not rub your back and pray for you. Yeah, you have consequences and there's discipline, but my love never ceases, right? That's how God works, Right. That's huge, huge, huge finding right there. Successful parents also were sacrificers. They were giving up their aspirations and preferences for the benefit of the kids. What they wanted to do, they, they set aside for what they knew was best for their kids. And, you know, there's a lot of joy in parenting, but sometimes, honestly, my son loves to play stuck, okay? It's where you got two trucks, and, and I'm driving down the road, and I get stuck in the snowbank, and he's the tow truck that comes and gets the car out, Okay. Playing stuck is not my favorite thing to do. I'll just be honest. You know, I love my kids, but it's just, I just don't like playing stuck. You know, I don't <laughs> have my son that, but I just don't like it. And sometimes, uh, you know, the, the, when the mind of Christ in me prevails, I will get down on the floor and I'll be like, let's play stuck and let's have a blast together, right? But you've got to sacrifice. Fathers should unbend from their false dignity, deny themselves some slight, slight self-gratification in time and leisure in order to mingle with the children. "...sympathizing with them in their little troubles, binding them to their hearts by the strong bonds of love, and establishing such an influence over their expanding minds that their counsel will be regarded as sacred." You want respect? Then play with them like a little child. Seriously, that's what this just said. Unbend from your false dignity and get down and play with them, and then your counsel will be regarded as sacred. That's how you gain respect. Isn't that something? You don't just stand as some austere you know, figure like they did in the olden days, right? So also you do this God talk. When you're naturally walking with the Lord, you're going to talk about Jesus. You're going to be like Jesus. You're going to love on your kids. You're going to always love unconditionally. You're going to talk about Christ. Christ is not a stranger in their homes. His name is a household name. Barna found that the successful parents who raised spiritually strong young adults did all those green screen things you just saw and they talked about God throughout the day. Jesus isn't something that's relegated to family worship and prayer time before meals and church. No, it's throughout the daily life. He's a household name. We talked about Jesus being a member of our family from very early age. Levi would say that he'd say who's in our family? Who's a little two year old? And he'd say, "Mommy and Daddy, Levi and Jesus," and that was the family. And now now it's Silas too, of course. But show in your life that Jesus is everything to you. Right? He's he's a household name. He's woven into the experience of kids. This is God talk, as George Barna called it. It's basically living life as a relationship with Jesus Christ. When the children do wrong, you you present the words of God as a a reproof. You avoid tedious remarks. Short remarks are good. If much is to be said, make up for briefness by frequency. So we're talking about God all the time. We pray about everything. My family, we have a little prayer journal. Every time we pray about something, we put it down in the journal, and then we see when God answers it, and we go put it in the same spot on the journal. How many times we've lost something and then it was found and then we got to say, God, help us found it? How many times somebody was sick or injured and we prayed for healing and then they were healed? And you know, you say, well, those are just a matter of course. But we've also seen supernatural interventions because God loves to show up in the life of a child, a small child, to help develop their faith. There was this amazing situation one time where we were harvesting our carrots and um, it was supposed to rain. And you don't want your carrots to go into the sand bins wet. You want, you know, somewhat damp sand, but you want dry carrots going in there. And it's like, ah, if it's going to rain, then this is going to be spoiled and we're going on a trip and we're going on a ministry uh, outing and then the carrots are going to you know spoil in the ground and it's going to freeze and we don't have time to get go to the store and get you know uh, cover for the ground so we're like wait we got to harvest them today this is the day so we pulled them all up and the forecast was rain like all day. And we're like, it's not looking like rain right now. Let's get out there and do it. And it took longer than we thought it was going to. And we're like, we prayed at the very beginning and throughout, Lord, please hold off the rain so we can get these carrots put away into our root cellar. And the most amazing thing you can believe happened. Okay. No rain, no rain, no rain, no rain, no rain. We got the carrots laid out on the tarps. We're getting the sand bins filled, getting them dried. And then we put them in and we cover the sand, do a little layer, cover the sand, you know. And then I put the last bin on and I go, snap, Drip, 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 drip. Literally, the next second it rains. Do you think that's a coincidence? How many seconds are there in the day that that could have happened? This is divine intervention. It's a beautiful thing. Ministering angels will guard children who are thus dedicated to God. That means we pray for our families if we have to separate for a time. If Dad goes to work, if somebody has to do something, then you would pray together as a family before you before you part is what that quote was talking about. So. How about our role as a parent? You believe, if you are a successful parent, the research finds, that you view your job as a parent as your number one job in life. It's not like something on the list of other things. It's your number one job in life. Remember, you're sacrificing what you otherwise would want to do in order to be a parent. It's your most important job in life. And in fact, you're, you're seeking to obey God because God has called you to do this. That's another finding. So God established the family relation. His word is the only safe guide. So here's what, what the Lord has shown us. Let not home education be regarded as a secondary manner. So what should it be regarded as? Primary, right? Number one, it's not secondary. Implication, it's not tertiary or, or anything else. It's primary. We need to make the education of our children a business. For their salvation depends largely upon the education given them in childhood to the mother and father the right training of their children is the most important work of their life oh man these quotes really lay it on don't they I mean this is big time when parents see the importance of their work in training the children they see that it involves eternal interests they will feel that they must devote their best time and thought to this work So their best time and thought. It's a business. It's not a secondary manner. It's primary. It's the most important work in your life. It's your life work. The mother bears a greater responsibility than the king upon his throne. Next to God, the mother's power for good is the strongest known on earth. An angel could not ask for a higher mission. Has the Lord been clear with us on this? I mean, that's awesome. Let's think about the the, the order here, what we just heard. Okay, next to God, a mother's power is the strongest known on earth. So it goes God, then mothers, then angels, and then other people have kind of like not really big jobs like the king. Then the rest of us. Isn't that amazing? I don't know where dads fit in that. That's not... We were gonna to get to some counsel about the dads here, of course, but um, how sad is it that many parents have cast off their God-given responsibility to their children and are willing that strangers should bear it for them. Isn't that given what we just heard, isn't that tragic? I mean, this massive mission calling, the one soul audience of your child, or two or three, however many you have. And then we cast off our God-given responsibility and have strangers raise our children. Oh. We won't go back to the last session or yesterday on that, but you you know where we're going with that. Okay, so how about this? If you ignore your duty as a wife and mother and hold out your hands for the Lord to put another class of work in them, be sure that he will not contradict himself. He points you to the duty you have to do at home. If you have a, the idea that some work greater and holier than this had been in, has been entrusted to you, you are under a deception. Okay, that's strong counsel right there. I would never say that to somebody. I just like, I, I couldn't do that, but the Lord does right and he inspires these words so the lie from the feminist movement that motherhood is some degraded role and it's some oppressive thing and just a mother and no you must rise in the ranks of society you must become something great and powerful and wonderful this is a lie of the devil we are under a deception if we believe this let i saw that okay so mothers are to stand preeminent in the raising of the children it says in child guidance page 24 but dads man this is huge Few fathers realize their responsibility. I saw that, but few fathers realize their responsibility. Okay, so most of us don't really get what we're supposed to be doing here. The father's duty to his children cannot be transferred to the mother. If she performs her own duty, she has burden enough to bear. Only by working in unison can the father and mother accomplish the work which God has committed to their hands. Now this quote right here changed the course of my life as a dad, and as a teacher, and as somebody who is starting in ministry, because I read this quote, and I was like, okay, I'm teaching full-time, and at the same time, I'm starting to do Media on the Brain seminars around in Michigan, and then I'm asking, okay, my son is born, he's a baby now, he's moving up into toddlerhood years. When I read this, my first son, Levi, he was, I don't know how old, maybe 14 or 16 months or something at the time, and I read... Fathers, spend as much time as possible with your children. And I thought to myself, okay, if I'm going to continue to teach full-time and be gone on the weekends for ministry and speaking opportunities whilst also claiming to be a father spending as much as time as possible with my children, I would be derelict in my duty. <laughs> and so we've got a decision to make, honey. Should we... Um, give up the speaking opportunities and this interesting thing that seems to be developing here that the Lord is opening doors or should I give up teaching? Because it's got to be one or the other. And nobody wants a part-time teacher around that I can think of. So we said, hey, all right, we're going to give up the teaching thing and allow the Lord to open up the doors. And um, I'll tell you, that was kind of a scary thing. <laughs> but <laughs> my wife came to that determination first. It wasn't like the you know crazy, adventurous me, but it was the, the, more, the more cautious and... Uh, uh, perhaps more rational and less uh, dreaming, uh, wife of mine, she said, "This is the right thing to do. Um, spend as much time as possible with your children. That's a, that's a, an important piece of counsel right there. If he is engaged in business, which almost closely, wholly closes the door of usefulness to his family, he should seek other employment. So, find, look for a new job. It doesn't say find. It says look for, seek." Other employment that will not prevent him from devoting some time to his children. Again, I wouldn't say that to somebody, but I'm glad these quotes are here because they kind of confront you, right? If I'm just off doing my career and pursuing what I want to do, I'm not self-sacrificing. I'm not loving unconditionally. I'm not making parenting my number one job in life, and I have to reorient those priorities in order to have success. Successful parents also had a one full-time parent situation, and sometimes that can be combined, but there's always... Almost always a parent, right? A, a full-time parent focusing on that. And, and, and related, a related finding is their socioeconomic status was not a factor. So parents who sacrificed a second full-time income in order to have one full-time parent, and so therefore they were a little poorer, they did not lose any ground in the chances for successful uh, spiritual development. In fact, you might actually believe that poverty in many cases is a blessing, for it prevents youth and children from being ruined by inaction. When we decided to leave full-time teaching, we gave up health insurance. We're moving into this, like, I have this DVD series. It's like, is this really going to provide an income? We have no idea. So what we're going to do is we're going to sell our suburban home, and we're going to move into a mobile home in the country and grow our own food. Right? Um, Do not try this at home. I'm not necessarily recommending this for everybody. You might say, that sounds kind of reckless. But we really felt that the Lord was leading us in this direction. And, hey, we're going to have to. I mean, we'll have some, some grocery money. I mean, it's not, not that crazy like we're going to totally just live off the land and everything. But we're not going to have a mortgage. We're going to you know, keep our, 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 our cheap cars and not upgrade. We're going to you know, clamp down and redefine all the, need, all the wants and needs more clearly so that we're not being reckless with our funds because our children are worth it. What are all the, 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 the toys and, and screens and baubles and cars and everything that we could want from this world? How is all that going to benefit anybody spiritually, right? It's not. So you sacrifice all of that. Poverty, in many cases, is a blessing even because now we've got to go, guys, we want to eat? Then we're going to have to get out there and and. and And grow the food, right? And the Lord has has blessed the ministry so that we can live full-time on this ministry. At first, it was um, the Lord moved us to part-time teaching, actually, after I gave it the full-time teaching job. It was an amazing story. I'll just tell it real quick. Um, I gave it the full-time teaching job, put in my letter of resignation. Then the very next weekend, I was at another school where I was doing Media on the Brain, and the the that school staff, uh, the principal and some other people came to me, and they're like, hey, we've heard you're not happy at the other school. I'm like, how did you hear that? First of all, that was kind of weird how that slipped out there, but they're like, you know, if you're, if you're um, you know, ever thinking about leaving, um, you know, just just let us know, because we're, 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 we're in transition, and we're, we're taking a look at things, and I'm like, well, actually, I just put in my letter of, re- letter of resignation. That's pretty funny you brought that up, and they're like, oh, really? Well, you want to come here? I'm like, no, I'm quitting teaching because we're going into this other thing. And they said, well, would you teach part-time? And I said, so would I have to live on campus? Would I have to do the whole boarding academy thing? And they're like, no, you're moving up into the country up near us, right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be 25 minutes from you guys. They said, why don't you commute over two days a week and teach three classes back to back? You have lunch here and then go and, and, and do your, your ministry and country living thing. And I'm like, this sounds great. So the Lord definitely provided there. But then as the ministry developed, we are able to, to you know, move on into this situation. But we still, you know, even if you aren't like in poverty you still want to have kind of like an artificial scarcity in your own life and in your own home where where your kids don't feel like, oh, you can just whip out the credit card and just do whatever you want. It's like, no, we are very careful with the Lord's money, and we want to be good stewards, and we do have to grow our own food because the Lord has called us to do it. And if we want to eat, we better get out there and work. So that's still the mindset, even uh, even now. So thankful hearts and kind looks are more valuable than wealth and luxury. And contentment with simple things will make home happy if love be there. Do you like that one? That one's good. Successful parents spend hours in dialogue with their children. You know how long it takes sometimes fathers and sons to get hours of dialogue going when you're kind of just hanging around, right, and you're doing things together? And No, but you're over time, you're developing hours of dialogue Parents, mothers, and children speaking to their children continually as much as they can. And that's huge for um, the academic development, for verbal development. Verbal communication, just talking to our children, reading to our children continually is so helpful for not just... Uh, academic development because all later intellectual intellectual development is in the context of, of words to describe concepts right but also spiritual things right I mean they're learning the Bible they're learning all kinds of things as you're talking about Jesus throughout the day right so it's about quantity of time not just quality time there was this movement back in the day where it's like spend just a few minutes with your kids and get some quality time in now I'll say that's way better than no time and making it quality a little bit of quality is better than a little bit of not quality so there's something to be said for that, but what the research is showing is quality plus quantity is going to be the, the, the just nuclear explosion of loving awesomeness in the home and the development of children spiritually. Quantity of time in addition to quality. And by the way, if you're, if you're thinking about discipline and behavior issues and all of that, there's a little anecdote that Donna Hobanick tells, and she says, she had parents coming to her office looking for counsel on getting their children's behavior in order, and they've got all these misbehavior things, and they're such bad children, and how do I get them in order, and give me the, give me the discipline strategies, and I'm going to teach them a lesson, I'm going to get the order in my home, and she says, you know what, we're not going to talk about all those misbehaviors, and we're not going to talk about discipline yet uh, in terms of punishments, Dis- the word discipline just means to teach, it means to train, but She says, all I want to talk about with you at this session is this. I want you to go back with each child, and both you and your husband spend 15 minutes a day with each child, one-on-one, doing something fun with them that the child wants to do. And that's even not that much quantity, right? It's powerful when it's quality and quantity. But this is quality and, you know, a decent quantity with each child every day, making sure you're doing something special. She says, everybody to a man, to a person. She says, I can't even tell you how many times they come back and say, those behavior issues are disappearing. I mean, they're, they're, everything is changing. One time with my son, Levi, uh, we were struggling with some behavior issues early on because, I mean, we were like brand new Adventists. I didn't even know what child guidance was. I, I was re- starting to read through, you know portions of Adventist Home. That's where I came to that, um, Father, spend as much child with your children. But I didn't even know child guidance existed. And here we are just trying to figure this thing out. And and, and, and on in, we're like, man, we've made a lot of mistakes like we all do, even those of us who did know what child guidance was. And you're going, all right, we got we to gotta fix the mistakes. And I'm going, okay, here's what we're going to do we're going to do 24 hour period of time of one-on-one time me and Levi and um, we my wife took the baby and I went to my mom's house or something like that and me and Levi just had a nice whole day together of doing fun stuff and we started a fireplace in the fire for the first time and we dragged the mattress out into the living room and had a sleepover together and just like everything cool and novel and fun and stuff he wanted to do and running around and jumping and singing doing goofy stuff and what you name it and um I, I said, no computer, no phone, everything's off the whole time, 24 hours. Now, that's quality, right? I mean, that's quantity. That's an enormous amount of time. At first, I'm like, what are we going to do for that long? So came up with a bunch of ideas. I mean, this was kind of a big program. We had to come up with, this is a big deal. Can't do this kind of thing every week. But um, toward the end of that 24-hour period, I noticed that I had not had to rebuke or correct his behavior a single one time. And this was at a time when we were struggling with a lot of, you know, butting of heads. I'm like, this is amazing. This is powerful. Quality time. Cultivate friendship with them, especially with your sons. In this way, you will be a strong influence for good. Yeah, one-on-one time. No time, though, says the father. I have no time to give to the training of my children. No time for social and domestic enjoyments. Then you should not have taken upon yourself the responsibility of a family. By withholding from them the time which is justly theirs, you rob them from the time which is from the education which they should have at your hands. If you have children, you have a work to do in union with the mother in the formation of their characters. You have brought children into the world who have had no voice in regard to their existence. Have you ever thought about that little philosophical conundrum? Like, it was your choice to make them exist. You better make their existence happy. You better make it eternal. You have made yourself responsible in a great measure for their future happiness, their eternal well-being. The burden is upon you, whether you are responsible of of it or not, to train these children for God. Amazing. It is the cry of many mothers. I have no time to be with my children. Then for Christ's sake, spend less time on your dress. Neglect, if you will, to adorn your apparel. We don't do much of adorning of our apparel, but we do a lot of shopping for apparel, probably, or thinking about what our apparel is going to be. Neglect to receive and make calls. You know, is our social life crowding out a time with the time with our children? neglect to cook an endless variety of dishes, neglect to keep up on Facebook posts, neglect to watch TV, neglect to be on your phone. That I added that part, of course. That was not in the original. <laughs> but never, never neglect your children. What is the chaff to the wheat? Let nothing interpose between you and the best interests of your children. You know, the, the phone thing. Well, I'll talk about that more tomorrow or on Monday Yeah, Monday morning. But remind me if i don't talk about the phone on monday morning i gotta i gotta catch you up on that the mothers and the phone and the children the research on that let not a mother allow her mind to be occupied with too many things she must allow nothing to divert her mind not until the final settlement when the cases of all will be decided and the acts of our entire lives will be laid open before our view in the presence of god and and the lamb and all the holy angels will parents realize the almost infinite value of their misspent time almost infinite value Your time, we say time is money. You know, for an hour that I could work at my job, I could earn $14 an hour or whatever, and you value it at $14. Infinite value of misspent time. Almost infinite value is our time because we're talking about eternal interests here. The right conception, oh, and by the way, the thing about $14 wasn't meant to be like we shouldn't work a job, right? I mean, you have to work. You spend as much time with your children as possible. But we also have to provide for our families. And I know a lot of guys that are working their their, their hind end off for 16 hours, 60 hours a week. And they're doing their best to provide their family at a low-wage job. And that person is a hero for their family. Okay, so I want to I want to make sure that we're giving thumbs up to hardworking people who are doing their best to provide a basic subsistence for their family. Okay, and I know times are tough economically. So that whole thing about look for a new job if you're almost you know useless to your family, you know that could be a situation that an individual is in. But I'm not painting with a broad brush saying everybody needs to cut down their work hours or everything like that. That's a very much an individual thing that God is calling each individual to. So my story was just unique to me about the teaching and the ministry and all that. I don't know about the men in this room or or the women for that matter. Sometimes it's a mix. In fact, my wife works for Belt of Truth Ministries. She does a lot of the bookkeeping, a lot of the, the more detailed stuff. And when she's in the office doing that, I'm with the kids, so I I guess you could say that that, um, we're both um, part-time working, part-time parents. But I'm I'm doing 95% of it, and she's doing 5% of it is how it shakes out in our family. But the right conception of God through the knowledge of Christ who died that we might be saved should be impressed upon our children's minds. You may think, parents, that you don't have time to do all of this, but you must take the time to do your work in your family else Satan will supply the deficiency. Cut out everything else from your life that prevents this work from being done. There's so many unnecessary things in our lives. How much time are we spending on our phones? You know, that thing in there, that was kind of funny, but also hits, hits our convictions, right? I know so many moms. I think that's probably the number one thing, that good moms, even like the, the, I'm gonna be, you know, till age eight or 10, true education, maybe even homeschooling. My wife knows a ton of moms like this out there, and she agrees with me that the number one Stumbling block, the biggest issue in the lives of good families where they're doing everything by the blueprint is that phone just just finds its way in and there's a distraction and there's a neglect happening. And that's not that you can never, you know, keep up with, with people or, or, or be on it. You know, it's not that the device is evil, but the device becomes a device of Satan. It becomes a distraction in many cases. Train your children after his order. Neglect anything of a temporal nature. Be satisfied to live economically. Bind about your want's. But for Christ's sake, do not neglect the religious training of yourselves and your children. We've had a number of quotes like this where it's like, grabbing us by the shoulders, and shaking us up a little bit. I think you've got the idea. So these successful parents, they've, they're spending all this time with their children as much as they can. It's quality time. It's quantity of time. It's 100% number one job in life. But there's, an, there's a purpose to this. It's not, you know, we're just time together. It's the purpose is to disciple them. Successful parents are discipling their children. They do not look to the church to take the lead in spiritual training. They're not waiting for the Sabbath school teacher to teach them about Jesus or the pastor or the church school teacher. They are... Involved in church, but they use the church as a support for their efforts, right? So the parents are the discipling agents. They are the ones who make disciples of their children, that one sole audience in their home. And by the way, in doing so, the, the whole theme here of this weekend, you've seen how this message fits into the theme, right? These children are becoming those missionaries that we just read about who, like the children said, Hosanna at the time of the, uh, the first coming of Jesus, those children will go forth doing the final work. Think about that. The older members of the church can't do it anymore. The older members of the church are, are in a situation where the laws are hedging them about, but the children can get away with it, like the Scandinavian children during the Reformation. Do you remember that in the book, The Great Controversy, where the kids would be we just, they, they would be prophesying, basically. I mean, the Spirit of God would come upon them and give them, give them utterance. It would be miraculous, but the, there were laws prohibiting the parents from doing that. And it says also that says that in the last days, when the, latter, when the latter rain comes, the children, that your young daughters will dream dreams and visions and so on. So this is very much Bible prophecy, and it's coming. And so our children, if we're training them and discipling them, they will be the ones that will do that. The reason I call this raising the remnant is because those children will be the last remnant message messengers. And that's an exciting thing, thinking about our kids doing that. That's really awesome. So successful parents disciple their children. We just saw that. Here's how it goes. Every family is a church over which the parents preside. The first consideration of the parents should be to work for the salvation of their children. It is perilous to leave this solemn duty in the hands of others. (coughs) So you might say, well, at what age can my child be a Christian and be saved and be, you know, know the Lord? Age has nothing to do with it. As soon as a child can love and trust his mother, then he can love and trust Jesus as the friend of his mother. Don't you love that? I love that. That's beautiful. One of the first sounds that should attract their attention is the name of Jesus. And In their earliest years, they should be led to the footstool of prayer. Their minds should be filled with stories of the life of the Lord, and their imaginations encouraged in picturing the glories of the world to come. Children's minds are like sponges; they soak up everything that comes their way. Literally, just, their memory is incredible. We play scripture songs for our kids, and my son Levi will help me out with the words because I'll forget them. Because their memories are incredible. Because they don't have the ability yet to filter out things. Right? We have we're, we're more efficient. I think that might be why they need to sleep so long because their brain is just going, 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 going. Information, data, just like collecting it all. And so. What are we feeding it with? What are we putting in there, right? We want to keep the worldly media out, not only to keep it out, but so that we can put good things in. We're filling, we're saturating their minds with Bible, Bible, Jesus, stories, love, scriptures, references, all of it. It's a beautiful thing. Let the first baby lispings be of Christ. I remember that. It was, it's so cute. It's so cute to see a little toddler say Jesus. And it's in their own unique little way and a little, little, little uh, you know, toddler way of doing it. I won't try and mimic my children's ways, but we, we remember it. We write, Cammy keeps a journal on all the cute things your kids do, right? My wife's name is Cammy. It was in the solitary hours of prayer that Jesus in his earth life received wisdom and power. So our children need to have this experience let the youth follow his example in finding at dawn and twilight a quiet season of for communion with their Father in heaven. Could our children learn these lessons in the morning of their years? What freshness and power, what joy and sweetness would be brought into their lives? And in the morning of their years, have the little children listen to scripture songs as a little devotional exercise. Even while they're toddlers, this is what we do. And by the way, when I say what we do... Please look to to the the council and to the factual data. My little anecdotes are kind of fun, but don't look at us as an example. We don't even know what we're doing. We're figuring it out as we go, just like you all feel, okay? So I'm no expert. Every parent, the youth might be like, what are you saying? You don't know what you're doing. I'll give you a little hint. Every parent feels half the time like well, I don't know what I'm doing here right it's like you're doing your best you're making mistakes okay so I'm with you I'm one of you on that we got a couple inches here so you can see the presentation but that doesn't put me on a pedestal in any way so please bring me way down but I use my anecdotes just cuz they make the presentation a little more interesting give you some ideas but the lord will lead you into that we have little little scripture songs little stories little little devotionals that we play for our kids in the morning uh, as a part of their, their daily ritual, their daily routine. So if they have no knowledge of Christ, though, no connection with heaven, they will have no moral power. And they will yield to earthly potentates who have assumed to exalt themselves above the God of heaven in establishing a spurious Sabbath to take the place of the Sabbath of Jehovah. That's, a, that's an alarming statement right there, isn't it? If our children don't have moral power in a relationship with Jesus Christ themselves, then they will yield. So they might just be a part of a Christian culture. They might kind of go through routines with us, but they have to know Jesus themselves. That's what discipling them means. So they have that personal time with him. Barna also found that successful parents delve into matters of faith as a family unit. Of course, spread out the word of God before your families in love and ask, what hath God spoken? So so you you consult the scriptures continually. What has God said about this? And then then, then they'll see that, that we look to God as an authority less than 10% of families by the way less than 10% of born again christian families ever open the bible together during a typical week less than so that means 90% plus of supposedly christian homes never open the bible all week together that's sad abraham father abraham the morning and evening sacrifice morning and evening worship not optional why is there such a lack of missionary spirit in our churches this is a big quote a big slide for the theme of this weekend why is there such a lack of missionary spirit in our churches it is because there is a neglect of home piety we're not having family worship we're not calling our children to the hour of prayer the teaching of bible truth is the great and grand work which every parent should undertake so parent you are a teacher Oh, no, that sounds intimidating. I never wanted to go into teaching, but you are a teacher. You are a teacher of the Bible. In a pleasant and happy frame of mind, place the truth as spoken by God before the children. In all that men have written... Where can be found anything that has such a hold upon the heart, anything so well adapted to awaken the interest of the little ones as the stories of the Bible? Oh, kids love Bible stories. Get the the Blue Bible story books. Get the My Bible friends. Read straight out of the Bible. Have audio versions of the Bible. My son Levi has on his iPod. What I've done is I've gone through the first five books of the Bible, and I didn't give every chapter of Leviticus, but I stuck with mostly the stories. And then he listens to a bunch of Bible chapters, and then also the blue Bible story story of that same section of the scripture. So he's getting the Bible and he's getting a telling of the Bible all kind of back to back. So it's kind of you know, getting it firmer in the mind. And that really helps fill the mind with good things. Instead of speaking vain words and telling idle tales, you know, one of the worst things about fiction and all of these things, it's not just That it's filled with spiritualism and that a lot of these things just are so stimulating that they make the Bible uninteresting, but it's also just a waste. Of Time and brain space, right? Instead of filling them with idle tales, talk about about the Bible. The reason that fiction is, and by the way, in in the series called Undoctrinated, I go into the whole thing on fiction and what Spirit of Prophecy says about that and why we're looking at fiction as something that we want to avoid. It's mostly because the Bible says whatsoever things are true and noble, and right, and lovely, and admirable, and excellent, and praiseworthy, think upon these things. And so when we go off into fantasy, and sci-fi, and even just, just fictional tales that are realistic, it's something instead of the Bible. In economics, we call that opportunity cost. So if you spend your money on something, you've spent it on that instead of something better, right? And so the cost of having this was not being able to have that, and why did you get this when you could have had that? This is way better, right? So this is the way better. So let's avoid the idle tales and the fiction. It's unnecessary, it's wasteful, and it's, we're, we're called not to do it. The most successful methods of assuring their salvation and keeping them out of the way of temptation is to instruct them, I love this next word, instruct them constantly in the word of God. And as parents become learners with their children, they will find their own growth in a knowledge of the truth more rapid. So if you're a little insecure about that, you know, you'll grow as you do it. And and use resources. Instruct them constantly in the Word of God. Play the Scripture songs while you're driving down the road. You know, pause and talk about what that Scripture said. You don't have to have it all from memory and like, I am the master Bible teacher and I will deliver this all to you. Utilize those resources, right? When they are tried, tempted, or discouraged, cite them to its precious words of comfort and gently lead them to put their trust in Jesus. And you know what? The whole point, point of this, you're discipling them, you're helping them to have a relationship with Jesus. It's a process of character development. The number one job focus here of a parent is character development because you're helping them to have a character fit for heaven. You're helping them to develop a Christ-like character. Those children whom parents do the most for frequently feel under the least obligation toward them. What did that mean? Basically, if you do everything for your kids and you make their life so easy and they're spoiled and they never have to do anything hard, you might think, well i've been so nice and generous toward them that of course they will just feel so obliged to love me back and do things back for me it's not how it works with a child mind you know if i do that for my wife and i'm like oh honey let me do all the dishes and do all these things she will totally oblige she'll be like oh i want to do these things for you with children though you, have, you can't do everything for them. Otherwise, they'll become like, <laughs> she looks, right? Like, uh, spoiled little. I'm sure that nice little girl had had some nice moments, too. She just got caught at, a <laughs> caught at an unfortunate picture. I type into Google, you know, spoiled child or whatever, and she's like, I have 85 pairs of shoes. But we do this kind of thing to our kids, right? From infancy, children should be trained to do those things which are appropriate for their age and ability. This is very important when it comes to character development i mean there's so many character traits we could go through like half of disc three is just all the character traits spirit of prophecy how we do them how we can develop all these character traits of kindness and patience and obedience and do 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 tons of character traits but this is one of the most important moment by moment things in life are they learning to be able to help to be able to do things to be able to take care of things Keep these children with you. There's the theme from earlier, right? Time together with you. Let them ask questions and in patience answer them. Give your little children something to do. And let them have the happiness of supposing they help you. (laughs) If they make mistakes, if accidents happen and things break, do not blame them. So it might be harder when I have my son help me wash the dishes. It's not actually that helpful. I hope he's not around, but it's just not, right? Um, it's like the water is getting, it's, it's, it's harder for me. It's harder for me, like, emotionally, because I'm worried about what's going to happen with the water. He actually is, he's five now. He's actually at the point where he can be kind of helpful. I mean, he's very helpful. I'm talking about the older son. Very helpful in many ways. I used the dishes example because that's where I really would rather not have it, but we do it anyway because it's good for him, Right? So you have them the idea that they suppose they help you. If they make mistakes, if accidents happen, don't blame them. The more quiet and simple the life of the child, the more free from artificial excitement and the more in harmony with nature, the more favorable it is to physical and mental vigor and to spiritual strength. So when mom is folding the laundry, the kids aren't playing video games and having this artificial stimulation. Uh, We live in the country. We want them outside. They're doing gardening together. This kind of thing is what what the council tells us. To live in the country would be very beneficial to children. An active, out-of-door life would develop health of both mind and body. They should have a garden to cultivate where they might find both amusement and useful employment. And here are a few from uh, the slideshow that my wife brought together they, at the health food store near where we live. They got the little kids carts, so these are our two little guys pushing the carts around and helping with the groceries. My wife unpacks some uh, some dried food there, and he's right there. And you know, when they're toddlers, they're not necessarily doing a lot, but they're involved with it, right? The four year old helping to build, helping dad build his uh, his. A wheelbarrow that grandma gave him for Christmas. And by the way, when it comes to like presents and grandparents, and that's always a big stress and challenge, like what's going to happen with the extended family? You, you have to take control of that situation. You can't let whatever happens, happens, and we don't want to offend anybody. So we've, uh, we've had to have uncomfortable conversations where I say to my mom, Look, we don't want fiction books. Like, do you know how crazy that sounds to, you know, just non Adventist general population people? Like, what? No fiction? Like To Kill a Mockingbird, like all these books you read in English class. I mean, that's one of the more, more crazy sounding things that we do. But we had to go there because we don't want that. those books. We want real books. We want nature with pictures and Bible and like real things and history. Uh, so I, we say, Mom, can you, you're creative. You come up with great ideas. My mom loves to give gifts. She's a wonderful person. I just kind of had to just corral her a little bit into this direction of come up with things that will help them be helpful. Help them work and play at the same time. Help them develop according to the things that we're talking about here, and so there's some more from the uh, from the photo album to creating the rows of the the beds there. That was our first year at the the place that we got out in the country. Shredding the uh, the credit card numbers from the night before at the the seminar. Um, we got the the pile of wood delivered by the. By the folks down the road at the lumber situation, the kids can climb up on the wood and help toss the wood into the barn and so on. Just a few few examples of that. But remember, it's not about efficiency, right? It, you might say, "Well, I'm not going to get everything done if the kids are helping." Well, Cami said, "I said, Cammy, what would you say to parents who are fearful that they won't get everything done?" She said, "You won't. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> that's just life. You would. That's an that important realization. You won't get." everything done. that's not the goal right the goal is character development so it can be so given that the child will find pleasure in learning to be helpful see this is not about some like rigorous angry we're going to learn industry and you're going to learn to be helpful and it's going to be miserable no mothers can amuse their children while teaching them to perform little offices of love little home duties bring all the pleasure possible into your exercises as teacher and educator of your children isn't that good i think kids would like that the sound of that We're going to have so much fun, just exuberant, extravagant amounts of fun in life. That's what it means to be a spiritually strong young adult raising parent. Make the life of your children pleasant and at the same time teach them to be obedient and helpful, bearing small burdens as you bear large ones. The little child finds both diversion and development in play. That's an important statement of balance here. It's not like constantly just working. They play while they work, but also times of just creative and free play. And they're coming up with what their trucks are going to do. And this is part of good development. It's creative development, which is not happening these days. Maybe I'll talk about that tomorrow morning, actually, about what's happening with the media and how that's changing creativity. Uh, George Barna also found that successful parents meet their children's emotional and physical needs. This is huge. If you're thinking about the discipline issue and the behavior issue, which we're not so much talking about in this session, it's on disc four of Raising the Remnant. But the, the, the number one way is not only to spend time with them, quality time, like Donna Habenick taught about the 15 minutes with each kid and all the behavior problems are going away, or the 24 hours with my son and the behavior problems were going away. But a lot of misbehavior happens just because they haven't had a good routine, They haven't had sufficient uh, nutrition, sleep... Uh, the meals are too close together. Their, their 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 digestive system's just constantly working. They've had too much sugar. They're they're having enough water. Uh, you know, physical needs are huge. We've got to be meeting those consistently. Having a good routine, having good order and structure in the day, children thrive on a routine when they know what to expect. When they don't know what's going to happen, we learned that early on. Our son would get very anxious and fearful about what's what's happening next. And we learned he was like two. We would just explain, and they can totally understand. We would say we're going to do this, and then this is going to happen, and then we're going to get. In the car and do this and we're going to go there and we're going to see these people and now okay now i can breathe a little bit because i know what's coming so the physical needs we mentioned parents wonder that children are so much more difficult to control than they used to be when in most cases their own criminal mismanagement has made them so (laughs) isn't that something the quality of food they bring on their tables and encourage their children to eat is constantly exciting their animal passions and weakening the moral and intellectual faculties there was a, there was a um, practice that was done with a, a school a while back, and this was reported in the documentary called Captivated. But he tells the story of this administrator who's, who has had all these parents who were dealing with all these behavior issues in the teachers, and he called them and he, together, and he said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to define the meals for these kids. We're going to get them outside and playing, and we're going to limit the media exposure to 30 minutes a week, okay, of video games or whatever. I would say zero, but <laughs> they said 30 minutes a week, Good nutrition and getting outside and playing and physically active a lot. And all of the ADD problems who we're talking about, we need to have all of the you know, chemical interventions, it's like they all started to disappear. I mean, how many stories are there now like that over the last 10 years? It's powerful. The food we're eating has a big influence. When they're not eating nutritious food, when they're sitting and they're not able to play outside, these things have a major effect on behavior. The importance of regularity in the time of eating and sleeping should not be overlooked. There must be a bedtime. There must be mealtimes that are set, right? Since the work of building up the body takes place during the hours of rest, it is essential, especially in youth, that the sleep should be regular and abundant. If all would eat at regular periods... Oh, by the way, just a quick story. On the way up the mountain, um, on the way from LAX to here on Thursday when we were driving... We flew, yeah, on Friday. Rather, we flew on Thursday, and then we drove up here on Friday. It was like took two days to get here from Michigan because of that crazy drive, um, and it was crazy because I didn't realize this. It's Labor Day weekend, and everybody apparently in the LA Southern California area leaves work at like noon or eleven thirty or something, at, or, or skips work altogether on Friday. And we got on the highway, and we're just like just bumper to bumper. Like I remember this because I used to live in Riverside and I, I experienced traffic. And was, you know, we've enjoyed not having that. But well, I figured I'm going to avoid it by leaving at noon. We'll be to Riverside by one one thirty, and then we'll see some folks there. We'll get out of there by two thirty, quick, and you know traffic will start around that time. And we'll, we'll maybe hit a little bit of it. We'll be up there by by four or five. <laughs> not so. It took us from noon. No, it was like eleven forty five is when we left till three and a half hours later to get to Riverside from LAX uh, Hotel where we were staying there. Um, and, and the kids were all thrown off from the flight in three hours, right? So we're going to bed, you know, later. We're not going to bed at 5 p.m. Like that's their bedtime, right? It's, it's 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Um, Eastern time. So we're like, we can't put him in bed at 5 p.m. because then all the meals are going to be thrown off and the whole schedule while we're here. So we got to adjust them. We'll adjust them a little bit each day. And we started doing that back actually in Michigan. We started putting the bed later in Michigan to, to kind of get things moving. But the whole story is for this point. I, I knew that my son Levi was short on sleep. Now he's the one that says, I'm, I'm not tired. He always says, I'm not tired. Our little one Silas will say, is it time for my nap? <laughs> like, like, wow, that's awesome. But the older one's in denial. And I, he, he's like... I said, Levi, you're going to need to take a nap in the car on the way up the mountain. And he said, but I'm not tired. I don't know how to sleep when I'm not tired. <laughs> I said, it's simple. I'm going to require you, and like, we don't like to have to do you know, things with this is the law, law and rule and if I'm going to force it. But I, I just knew that if he didn't you know, close his eyes and go to sleep, ASAP, we're going to have some problems here. And he's been doing great lately. We've, we've been so proud of him and how the Lord's been working on him. And uh, but I, I just knew this is gonna this is not gonna be a happy drive up to the mountain if, if he doesn't get a you know 20-minute power nap before we hit the mountain. And and there was there was this discussion about it, which isn't supposed to happen, right? Like, you know, when mom and dad say this is it, well, but I don't know, and the feet are up here, and it's like he's so overtired. And then and it's like this misbehavior and this discipline situation. I'm like, I knew it, right? You know. And if you don't, you got to have that, you know, that that intuition, that discernment of knowing when the 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 schedule's been thrown off, and got to have that regular sleep. And so that's a, that's a failure story, I guess. Should have gotten the nap earlier in the day or something, but we didn't know it was going to be three and a half hours. And anyway, if all would eat at regular periods, not tasting anything between meals that that's an important thing you know when they're three they don't need to be eating five times a day right i mean a baby sure he's eating all day right every 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 you know periodically eating from mom and that but we move from them being fed constantly with the umbilical cord in the, in the womb to by the time they're on toward two and upward they, they can be eating regular meals they don't need to be eating five six i mean i see kids just running around with cheetos and whatever and it's not it's not going to help them in terms of their 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 brain function and their behavior so they would be if 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 we didn't taste anything between meals they would be ready for their meals and they would find a pleasure in eating that would repay repay them for their effort after the meal regular meal is eaten the stomach should be allowed to rest for five hours not a particle of food should be introduced into the stomach till the next meal now, that's kind of hard to do with kids that sleep for like 11 hours because if you're going to have three meals in the day, you know, you don't have much day there to work with. But <laughs> basically, you want to get them up, get them water first thing in the morning, get that breakfast going right away, right? So that lunch can be spaced out sufficiently and give them a light supper, spaced out sufficiently. And you can do the two-meal thing, and I won't, I won't go into that. But, you know, that, that is um, something that, that's, that's a, an option as well if you... If you pursue that uh, parents inaction is the greatest curse that ever came upon youth so inaction is the greatest curse that ever came upon youth so when we outsource our parenting to the worldly schools and they sit in a desk all day and we outsource our parenting to the worldly media and they sit in front of a screen this is the greatest curse that ever came upon youth we are handing our children over to Molech. you remember that quote so this is very important getting them outside the health cannot be preserved unless some portion of each day is given to the muscular exertion in the open air and just being outside as much as possible. I use the phrase sometimes like we, just, we need to just live outside. You know, I, maybe slightly you know, strong of a statement, but better than just being inside all the time. Small children should be left as free as lambs to run out of doors to be free and happy and should be allowed the most favorable opportunities to lay the, found, to lay the foundation for sound constitutions. Equalize the taxation of the mental and physical powers. And by the way, this is not for small children. For small children, it's physical exertion all the time. But as you get up into school age, and you're on, on you know, past age 10, and in the youth, and you know, academy, and, and even us, all of us, it's ideal for us to do just as much physical exertion as we do mental exertion. So after a weekend like this, <laughs> where you're sitting for two back-to-back 90-minute presentations and we're not doing a lot physically, we want to get more active and, and you know, start making up for some of that and try and incorporate into our daily lives as much physical activity as we can. I know that somebody's in med school, they can't be doing 50% necessarily, but as much percent as you can. You know that's, that's the principle there, especially with the, with the children. So think about that in the context of true education as well. You know, are our schools employing 50% manual physical exertions, 50% mental, you know, sedentary uh, exertions of the mind? Successful parents, Barna Barna also found, raise families that regularly serve others together. Um, Canvassing. Uh, Have you ever thought about this? The children are going to finish the last work, right? Right. And, and, and we're told to have students in school doing canvassing. And also, if you watch the whole uh, True Education series called Undoctrinated, you'll, you'll hear about medical missionary work being taught in our, in our schools. So medical missionary work and canvassing are the two works that will go to the very close of time when we can't do public evangelism anymore. And the children will be finishing the work also because when the older members of the church cannot do it anymore. So when the children are doing canvassing and mes- medical missionary work, we have a pretty powerful move right there for the very final, final evangelistic efforts. and the one so long that we have an opportunity to do and when small children do this I mean they have access that we don't have right I mean if I go up to my extended relatives and hand them you know uh steps to Christ they are like what is what are you up to like what is this thing about but my son Levi came up with the idea because we had been handing out literature and he said um we should give to you know Uncle Mark and Aunt Joyce who were going to Thanksgiving we should give them steps to Christ and I was like hey it's his idea let's do it you know and He walks up and he's like, here, this is a devotional about Jesus. And we said, yeah, this was his idea. He wanted to give that to you guys. Now, how non-threatening is that, right? I mean, it's awesome. One time we were handing out great controversies at a rest stop, a rest area. Just people coming out of the bathroom, heading back to their car. My son Levi pops up, holds the book. I mean, how cute is that? Like a tiny little kid with a book that's like half the size of his body, right? We're standing right in front of him. He goes, Hi, have you read this book before? Or have you, you know what the great controversy is? And they're like, oh, immediately they're like, oh, cuteness, and, and they want, especially women, they want to they want to talk with this child. This one lady gets down at his level and he's like, and we we got out like dozens of these things in a couple of hours, where if I were trying to hand them out, they'd be like, no thanks, 90% of the time, right? I had the statistics. I, can't, I don't have them handy, but it was like, it's like four or five times more success rate, him versus me. But um, the, lady, the lady gets down, and she's like, tell me about what that is. And he goes, this is about how Jesus is coming soon. And she goes, yes, Jesus is coming soon. And she says, I have to tell you something. She starts opening up her heart and pouring out her heart about how bad things have happened in her life. And her husband has left her, and she starts crying. She's talking to my son. <laughs> like, she's not even looking at me she's looking to him like and she's like I really would like that book and so I said what could we pray for you and we prayed for her we talked with her for the next 15 minutes or so and we put her in touch with the place where she was going we knew the pastor up there I called the pastor right away I'm like got to get in touch with this lady and that's that's all from a little child just popping out with his little book right so the Lord uses that in an amazing way so uh, in their early years children may be useful in God's work right I mean, we go canvassing. You think you get a better reception when they, they see you there? Oh, they, we, we've trained, uh, taught our kid, our son, Levi, to, like, you've got to talk right away when they open the door. At first, it was like this awkward moment where they, looked at, they look at us, and it's like they glance at him, but they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, as soon as they open the door, you just start talking, right? <laughs> like, hi, I'm Levi, and I don't you know, it's like this kind of thing. And then they're like, oh, okay, then it changes their mindset. The children should be so educated that they will sympathize with the aged and afflicted and will seek to alleviate the sufferings of the poor and the distressed. Isn't that beautiful? Children are so sensitive to these things. They should be taught to be diligent in missionary work. And from their earliest years, self-denial and sacrifice for the good of others and the advancement of Christ's cause should be inculcated that they may be laborers together with God. "'Children are to to be educated to deny themselves. "'At one time when I was speaking in Nashville, "'the Lord gave me light on this matter. "'It flashed upon me with great force "'that in every home there should be a self-denial box, "'and that into this box the children should be taught "'to put their pennies that they would otherwise spend "'for candy and other unnecessary things.'" So in our home, our our kids do work with mom and dad all the time just because they're part of the family. But then there's free time, there's rest time, there's, there's creative play time or whatever we call it. And then a portion of that time they can work for money. If they want to give up some of that, they can work for money. So they can, they can earn money, and then they use that money, and they can choose what to do with some of that. And so this is what the concept is right there. Now, here's a very, very important thing. Guarding their hearts. I said we're getting the media out so we can fill their minds with the good things. But here's the counsel on influences from without that we need to guard their hearts against. George Barna found that successful parents are strict on media. No surprise there, Right. I could go on a bit on that one. But also, they're heavily active and involved in every aspect of the children's lives. The children don't just have a life over here that parents aren't really involved with. Successful parents are very involved. They they, they choose their children's friends for them. They're involved with that process. It's not leaving their untrained minds. Fathers and mothers, do you allow your children to associate with other children without being present? To know what kind of education they are receiving? Do not allow them to be alone with other children. Give them your special care. And again, it's not like suspicion, right? Like, I'm watching over you, you know, that kind of, we, we covered that earlier. Uh, this wonderful lady, uh, um, uh, Cinda Osterman, a friend of mine, she, she says that when, when her daughters would have somebody over to play, she would be, you know, sewing and doing things like right around the corner. And she could kind of like, you know, just, just subtly keep an eye, right? Let them visit your children in your presence. Even better, you're playing with them, actually. And in no case, allow these associates to lodge in the same bed or even in the same room. It is impossible to overestimate the importance for this world and the next of the associations we choose for ourselves and more especially for our children. We were just talking about that with our son Levi. There's a wonderful family here. I don't think they're in here, but uh, this little girl, Selah, what a precious little girl that we got to know up uh, up at family retreat and in, in, in California. And um, it, I said, Levi was, was with her, and they were they were talking. And I said, it's it's nice to be around children that love Jesus, isn't it, and that, that love the Lord, and that are that are that are uh, obedient and kind. And he was like, yeah. And then and he said, and then he said, I like being around Silas and around Selah because I smile more because his little brother loves to smile, and and Selah's a little sweet girl. And, and so he's like, it's, it's having a positive influence on me. So you start teaching your children about that influence. Could my voice reach the parents all through the land? Now that's a big preface, right? If I could say one thing to everybody, I got a megaphone and everybody could hear it, what would I say? I would warn them not to yield to the desires of their children in choosing their companions or associates. Little do parents consider that injurious impressions are far more readily received by the young than are divine impressions. Okay, so that's what we would say. But people go, oh, Scott, this is a whole thing about, you're just, you're just trying to get out of the world. Come on, we are in the world, we cannot get out of it. I love the rest of this quote. It says, parents, we can get a good way out of the world if we choose to do so. Like, just being in the world doesn't mean that we need to be in the world. We can avoid seeing many of the evils that are multiplying so fast in these last days. Yeah, turn off that television. Get the kids off of the the Internet and the the, uh, video games. We can avoid hearing about much of the wickedness and crime that exists. I have been shown that there should be a sacred shield around every family shield the children from contaminating influences i was thinking about this issue of a shield and the function that a shield plays like if you're standing here in battle and you've got a shield here it's kind of shaped sideways like this and you're the onslaught of the enemies darts upon you right like the devil and so that that shield concept is effective in the context of the great controversy war we are in but also people have said you shouldn't shelter your children i, I remember saying that i'd talk about the homeschool kids who couldn't go to movies and go trick-or-treating on halloween I'd be, those kids are so sheltered and I realize now how silly that was to say that, because a shield is like a shelter. If you were to take a shield and go like this, and it's hailing on you or something, you would want a shelter, right? And in 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 an onslaught of a storm, you immediately want to find shelter. Take shelter, take shelter, right? Tornado warning, get underground, right? And so that is a reasonable thing to do, to become sheltered. But we use the word in a negative way. Like, oh, you won't want to shelter your children, do you? Well, of course I want to shelter them from the storm and the onslaught of the enemy upon us. It's kind of like a bunch of people out there getting hailed on, getting, you know, d- dents in their skull, and they're going, hey, look at those, those ridiculous people getting sheltered over there. Well, let's take that word back, you know? <laughs> sheltering is a good thing. Now, there are bad forms of sheltering, of course. If I don't teach my child to tie his shoelaces you know, until he's 14 years old, you know, I'm sheltering from any, any hardships in life that 's not a good form of, of of sheltering. We want our children to do hard things that 's character development we don 't want to do everything for them and that is hard you know they 'll go through a lot of mental anguish just the other day we have this um we have a, 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 like a dolly, like a little hand truck, and it's a foldable one that we've taken to, you know, GYC and carry our boxes and whatever. And my son, Levi, wanted to play with it. I'm like, sure, you can play with it. Go ahead and open it. Like, if you want to play with it, you've got to open it. Now, this is a challenge because this thing is not easy to open. Um, he's like, well, I can't do that. And I was like, Levi, we don't say that. You say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so he's like, well, how do I do it? And I'm like, well, try using your foot, you know, get on there like this. We spent literally, and I mean, there were tears. This was hard but I'm like we're not giving up on this and this is going to be hard now but bear fruit later right and finally eventually figured out a strategy and I didn't have the solution either necessarily about what's the best way for a five-year-old to actually pull this off we tried like balancing it here and standing on it he's like bouncing on it and finally he got it open And it's like we didn't want to shelter him from that experience of, of hardship and pain right so, But we do want to shelter them from temptation, evil, evil associations, media influences, these things that are taking over their, their minds. From their infancy, the youth need to have a firm barrier built up between them and the world, a barrier, a shelter, that its corrupting influences may not affect them. Every Christian family should illustrate to the world the power and excellence of Christian influence. So there you, oh, by the way, did you notice we're going to be more of an influence if we are sheltered from the world? Like a lot of people will say, well, unless we're, just associating and equally yoked with the world and being influenced all the time by the world we won't be able to influence them not so we influence by becoming a peculiar people because then we're something different worthy of notice and saying oh you guys are different what what are you doing and your the, the children are, are, are so happy and obedient and you know if as we as we grow in the lord and and overcome the devil we become stronger than any sermon that can be preached right so how about this one successful parents are countercultural. so you got to get over this, guys. We got to get over this thing of, I'm going to be worried about what my mom is going to say or what my friends are going to say. The successful parents realized that they were different, that they were peculiar, they were, they were oddballs and you know, just, just, just uh, foreign to this world. I mean, we are not citizens of this world, right? We are foreigners and strangers and pilgrims in this, in this place. There should be less care for what the outside world will say. And more thoughtful attention to the members of the family circle. Mothers should never allow their sisters or mothers to interfere with the wise management of their children. How about this one? The votaries of fashion will never see or understand the immortal beauty of that Christian mother's work. And will sneer at her old-fashioned notions and her plain unadorned dress. While the majesty of heaven will write the name of that faithful mother... In the book of immortal fame. Does that encourage you? Who are we trying to please? God or man? Somebody's opinion about what they, they think we should do for our ha- homes and our family or the majesty of heaven? This is no contest. We're going to end with this one. Successful parents prayed a lot for their children because we can do everything that we can do, but we got to leave the results in God's hands and the power in His hands. I know of nothing that causes me so great sadness. As a prayerless home. Pray much more than you do. Your compassionate Redeemer is watching you in love and sympathy. Ready to hear your prayers and render you the assistance which you need in your life work. He knows the burdens of every mother's heart. And there are burdens. It's hard. It's painful. There's anxiety. There's fear. There's stress. There's, there's fear. There's a sense of failure. He knows all those burdens. His everlasting arms. Support the God-fearing, faithful mother. He is her best friend in every emergency. Difficulties will arise. You will meet with obstacles, but look constantly to Jesus. It takes us back to the beginning. It's about our relationship with Jesus, where this begins and ends. When an emergency arises, ask, Lord, what shall I do now? If you refuse to fret or scold, the Lord will show you the way. "'Parents, are you working with unflagging energy "'in behalf of your children? "'The God of heaven marks your solicitude, "'your earnest work, your constant watchfulness. "'He hears your prayers. "'With patience and tenderness, "'train your children for the Lord.'" All heaven is interested in your work. Think about that. The angels are on the edges of their seats watching that little interaction, watching that child try to open that hand truck or his skinned knee and his mama giving him a kiss. Every little moment of the day, this is the, we are a spectacle to angels as well as to men. The God, and God will unite with you, crowning your efforts with success. Now, this is the last quote that absolutely just touches my heart so deeply. I'll try not to have tears while I read this, but this is so beautiful. When the judgment shall sit and the books shall be opened, when the well done of the great judge is pronounced and the crown of immortal glory is placed upon the brow of the victor, many will raise their crowns in the sight of the assembled universe and, pointing to their mother, say, she made me all I am through the grace of God. Her instruction, her prayers have, blessed, have been blessed to my eternal salvation. That makes it all worth it, doesn't it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful institution called the family. And while there is a, an attack and an onslaught upon it, we know that you have protected and guarded our homes as the angel of the Lord encampeth round about us. Help us to be sanctified and consecrated unto you to follow your plan. Bless every child in the congregation of the families here. Future children, children who've grown, who are astray. Lord, we know that you've planted the word in their heart through their faithful parents and that that word will not come back void. I just pray for every soul that we would be saved together in the kingdom together as families and that we would finish the work with our children.